grab your Bible or however you find the scriptures and turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. Um, I would like to thank Paulette and Michael for this beautiful Bible. The print is like one letter per page. But I need it. I need it, and it's like, wow, I am going to use this Bible uh, in, the, in the coming years to preach around the country and around the world, and uh, I think I'll be able to see this one all the way till I'm 70, 80 years old. It's, it's perfect for me, and, and uh, it's joyful to have a new Bible. You guys love that new Bible spell? Oh. Anyway, um, there, as we've been going through Mark, we actually skipped ahead a little bit on Christmas Day service to talk about uh, the leper, but I'd like to go back. So Jesus here is on his first day of ministry. And on his first day, he goes into the synagogue, and, uh, and after he had called his disciples unto himself, in verse 21, they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teachings, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. There is something powerful when you truly believe God's word, because you, you say it as a fact. It's history. It's not myths, as so many people try to say. Um, when you look at the archaeologists that followed the scriptures to find all the Middle East finds, when you uh, look at the evidences of the Bible on a literary level, uh, whichever way you want to try to be critical and, and reduce the Bible to something other than an accurate historical writing, you will lose because the Bible finds itself accurate every time. And of course, the Bible makes a claim that no other book does in the world. And that is the law of the Lord. That's the way they said the Bible in the Old Testament is perfect. Jesus said it's protected by God. Not It'd be easier for heaven and earth to pass away than one little period or comma to be compromised in his word. Jesus, in his own teachings, which it seems that nobody can sociologically mock Jesus' teachings because it is the highest moral teachings that have ever been written and probably ever will be written. That's why the Muslims have to accept Jesus as one of their prophets. That's why the Hindus have to say he's one of their gurus. This is why no matter what the religion, they have to respect the teachings of Jesus because there's none other that is superior to it on its moral standing. But Jesus himself talked about a literal Adam, a literal Eve, a literal Noah and worldwide flood. And, and so Jesus was either crazy or a liar or he spoke with authority because he believed every word of it as truth, not a, well, there's a flood, but it really was just a few acres, but, you know, we like to tell the story as a worldwide flood, you know. No, 
Jesus believed it 100%, completely. And he quoted himself out of Deuteronomy. It said, man cannot live by bread alone, but by what? Come on, you guys know. Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And um, just, just so you guys know, you look like you all a group of people that ate too much sugar over Christmas time. Right? <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm number one guilty party on that. So re remember tonight when we come together, bring all your junk food, and we're going to share it afterwards. And um, But anyway... So he, he didn't say, well, you know, Shammai says this, Hillel has says this, well, the Mishnah says that, the Talmud said this, but, you know, take a little, give a little, whatever you guys get out of it, I, I hope it spoke to you today. Jesus didn't do that. He spoke and said it with certainty. In the beginning was God created Adam and Eve, and he joined the two together. It was with authority he spoke. And I'll tell you, I, I grew up in a denominational church, and I didn't hear the Bible taught with authority. Often uncertainty was there because of the, the liberalism and people liberally in the congregation unwilling to accept the Bible as the perfect, literal word of God. And, and they always had to sort of tiptoe around things that like the Trinity or uh, uh, the, the literal Genesis, book of Genesis, and, and it wasn't with authority. And I, I remember coming to Calvary Chapel, and I heard Ray Bentley speaking, and uh, he just was teaching with Romans, and it was a fact, this was a fact, that, was, and it was so powerful, life-changing. And uh, as you, a lot of people don't teach verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the Bible because they just don't think it can hold itself up. They think that if you really studied through the whole Bible, you would see it as a myth. You would see it as with all kinds of inaccuracies. This is not true. God is the author, yes, through imperfect man, but he authored a perfect word of God before us. And Jesus taught it that way. And it was revolutionary. And there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Interesting that this demon said everything perfectly. We, we often forget that if Satan were to appear here right now, we would be awed by him. He's the most beautiful of creatures. And you know, he, he would give off a sense of righteousness that we would just go, wow, he feels so righteous. And then when he speaks, he knows the Bible better than any of us. He's been studying it for thousands of years. He would quote it perfectly with just a little tiny twist. You know, if you had a big giant plate of Thanksgiving meal, and you said, close your eyes, and boop, you drop one drop of cyanide on that giant plate, and you say, well, that's, it's basically 99% healthy, just the one bite will kill you. <laughs> you wouldn't need any of the plate, right? 
And this is Satan. He, he's going to be 99% true to try to bring about a corruption, to poison, and then to start taking you off track. And so these demons, inappropriately, in the wrong spirit, in the wrong timing, are trying to declare Jesus. And, and he is uh, basically saying, shut up, be muzzled. This is not the right timing. There would be a day when he comes on, we call it Palm Sunday, where Jesus is on a donkey and rides into Jerusalem and they shout, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But that would be three years away. And so he told this spirit to be quiet. And, uh, and Jesus rebuked him. Be quiet, come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. You know what's interesting about this? Is when these synagogue officials and religious leaders were in there saying, well, you know, the Bible says this and the Talmud said this. And the demon-possessed guy felt very comfortable at church. <laughs> you know, he's like, yeah, he's a little strange, but he's a good guy, you know. But now Jesus comes in and turns the light on and speaks the word with authority. And this guy that's a little strange attends synagogue every week is all of a sudden now vocal and shaking and convulsing. And, and he's incredibly upset at the presence of Jesus. Understand, when we're preaching the pure word of God, it is a two-edged sword. And for all of us who have come to Christ, we know that the gospel pierced us. There's a point where we were saying, nah, 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 you're bugging me, don't pray for me, leave me alone. And then all of a sudden, you're a sinner. <laughs> your sins are keeping you out of harmony with yourself, your fellow man, and most importantly, God. And you know you have eternity in your heart, you know you're gonna be forever. And God's Holy Spirit's convicting you unto sin. Repent, and, and you're just like, oh, the first reaction is, Ouch, that hurts. Oh. And, and we see it here with Jesus. His words of truth are just irritating to these demons. And let me tell you, it's irritating to the non-believer at first. At first, it's foolishness to him. At first, it, it's, it's a difficulty, uh, an offensive thing to him, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1, but then it becomes the wisdom and the power of God to those who believe. But Jesus shuts him up, and the demon comes out. And notice in verse 27, they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? What new doctrine is this? For what authority he commands even the unclean spirits? And they obey him. And immediately notice his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. Wow. Have you ever heard of such a thing where one speaks the word and a demon comes out? One who preaches a message and it's powerful and renowned and the fame goes out. Now as soon, in verse 29, as they come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon Andrew with James and John these are all guys who were fishermen locally there, and Simon and Andrew were brothers. And they go into Simon's mother's uh, wife's mother house, his mother-in-law's house, who's laying sick with fever. And they told him about her at once. 
And he came and he took her by the hand and lifted her up and immediately the fever left her. And she, notice, didn't lay back down and sleep for a, a day or two. She got up and served them. So it was a miraculous healing, not just from the illness, but energized her, giving her full strength and energy to want to, to start cooking a meal and serving them. So at evening, in verse 32, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases, cast out many demons, and he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. And in verse 35, now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. So let's get the idea. He comes out of the synagogue. The word goes out. People are coming and coming and coming. He's with his uh, Peter's mother-in-law's house, and he heals her, and they're having a meal, and, and then all of a sudden, knock, knock, knock. Yes, and he looks outside, and as far as the eye can see, people are coming. And he begins to pray, and demon comes out. Person gets hills, and it goes on until the, the wee hours of the morning, because you got to realize this was synagogue. This was the Sabbath. So they couldn't start coming until the Sabbath had ended, which is the, the synagogue official would go outside and, and see three stars. When he could see three stars, the Sabbath began Friday night. And then when he could see three stars the next day, Sabbath would end. So it had to be night and night enough to see the stars. And then people now could travel on the Sabbath day without breaking the Sabbath day law according to the Pharisees' definition of that, of that day. And so now this goes on, but even though he probably had very little sleep, if any, he still does the priority of getting up and going to get by himself without any distraction to pray. You know, we are here on the eve of New Year's, heading into 2018. 2018 years ago, Jesus Christ was born into a manger, and here we are now. Wow, exciting times. But you know, we are beginning a new year. Now, I, I'll tell you, we're going to talk about it tonight in the Prophecy Update. Six o'clock to seven, I don't know how long. We have a special thing for the kids outside, too. It'll be a celebrated time. But I'll tell you what, I, I do not think 2018 will be just an uneventful year. I don't think we're going to say in three months or ten months, yeah, you know, it was a good year, and boy, that tax bill helped or hurt, or the walls got built or didn't get built, or people are happy or sad. I don't think it's going to be that simple. We are in the last days. And we, in the last days, need to live with more purpose than we've ever lived. We need to focus and realize the time is short. And to live that way. Jesus had a very small ministry. He's 30 years old, and it would only last less than three years. And he 
starts his ministry, if you remember, led by the Holy Spirit out into the wilderness to pray and fast for 40 days. He comes back after fasting 40 days and, of course, being pounded by the enemy. And he comes back in the first day of ministry. He's in the synagogue, casting out demons, speaking with authority, healing. And now he's beginning his ministry, if you would, in continued prayer. This would be the big question. The apostles didn't say, Lord, teach us how to do miracles. Teach us how to preach. Teach us how to... They only ask you one question. Teach us how to pray. In the Gospel of Matthew, it's the beginning of Jesus' ministry. In the Gospel of Luke, it's the end of Jesus' ministry. They ask the same question, and Jesus teaches them. Lengthy message both times on how to pray with persistence. And Jesus was exhausted. He had to be. Jesus was saying, man, go find a solitary place to sleep for a few hours. <laughs> of course, the fame. People are coming. This is, whoa, this is better than I thought. There's, I thought a few hundred people show up. There's 10,000 people that showed up. Wow, this is exciting. Man, the fame's growing. And, and Jesus just says, nope. My focus is prayer. And let, let me tell you guys, things are going to go up and down, up and down, up and down. I remember Desert Storm. <laughs> remember Y2K. I, I can remember cataclysmic things where people were just like, <gasps> you know, 911. What does this mean? What's the world coming to? How do you live now? And, and, and of course, then you go through horrible financial times, like we saw in 2008. Those who lived for a while, we, we, we've seen the roller coaster, haven't we? We've ridden the roller coaster. <laughs> and now, of course, in, in our country where you're basically born into a world to be ADD, you know, little babies, you know, playing with their cell phones, and, and then they got their video games, and then they got their iPads, and it's just... It's just a world of, of being, you know, and to try to keep somebody's attention for more than two seconds without them finding their cell phone more interesting. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a wild and crazy next decade if the Lord tarries. But we just need to stop and just say, let's look at Jesus here, his beginning. How did he do this? Well, he, he began his ministry in church, if you would, at the synagogue. It says in Hebrews, don't forsake the gathering together in the brethren, especially as you see the day of the Lord drawing near. And when you see that, it says, provoke one another to love and good works, to not neglect these things. And then we see from that power of Jesus in his time of prayer and fasting, he now is speaking with authority. He's, his life is making a difference, you know? So the roller coaster is going to be going. So how do, how do you keep from being freaked out? Prayer. That's the key. You know, prayer, you could be a mute person <laughs> and pray. You could be somebody on your deathbed who can't even talk. But the Bible says God hears the meditations of our heart as equally as if we spoke. 
You don't have to pray out loud. Just the meditations of your heart, God's hearing your words, whether you utter them or can't even utter them from your mouth. Prayer changes things. Do you, it says in Hebrews 11, without faith, nobody can please God. But with faith, everybody who's ever pleased God on earth has done it through faith. And then the very sixth verse of Hebrews 11 said, so if you believe that God is, then you equally believe that he's a rewarder of those who what? Diligently seek him. Whatever you get wrong this next year, whatever you get taking that step, let's set ourselves to be 2018 a people that diligently seek God. Amen to that? And, and you, you know, actually, today's, I, I just realized this, today's my final day of being the pastor of Calvary Chapel San Diego. <laughs> I'll still be preaching into March and maybe longer, I don't know, however long Phil's needs me. But Phil's going to need prayer, amen? And, and uh, it, it's, it's going to, it's a, it's a weird thing to have lived in a different country for 20 years and now to be coming back here as kids have never lived here. <laughs> They've never really spent any length of time being married in the United States. And uh, to come back and, and, uh, and to have to deal with you bunch. <laughs> uh. You guys are the most wonderful people on earth. You really are. It's the, the record we have constantly. It's the most loving church. People come to, to minister here, and they beg me to come back if I don't have them very often. But uh, let's be a people of prayer. You know what? Jesus was exhausted. Jesus was overwhelmed. Floods of people were coming at him. Needs greater than can be imagined. And he fought to sneak away. I don't know how easy that would have been. To get a distance away without somebody tagging along, without somebody noticing. And he got to that solitary place. He must have wanted to sleep desperately. But he prayed. He knew that without a time of prayer, that his day would not have the same vitality, the same authority, the same power that if he had prayed. We can't live two lives, right? We can't say, God, give me one year, the same year, 2018. One, I pray a whole bunch, and the other, I don't pray at all. And let me go back in time for a year and then see how different prayer made that year. We, we can't do that, can we? But I think those who believe God is and know that he's sovereign, that he has designed, he's made you a workman to have a, a definite set path of life to walk in, right? We are his poema. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which we should walk in them. Although God, God has predestined a walk for us to walk in, he doesn't say we are going to walk in it. And now you have to cooperate with your free will. You have to build up your inner man in the spirit, right? To be a person in the spirit, 
to hear that small, still voice, to, to sense that gentle leading of our shepherd, and it, to have, when you get to that crossroads, you got the, the power there. Remember, Jesus later says to his disciples, well, this kind doesn't come out except by prayer and fasting. There's just points where you're going to come to that intersection and either you have been a person of prayer and maybe even a season of fasting or you haven't been. But how is that collision going to happen? You want to have been a person of prayer. And Jesus indeed was. And then what happens next? His disciples come out looking for him. And uh, they said, oh, come on, you know, everybody's looking for you. You are famous. You are popular. You don't have to go anywhere. The whole world's going to come to you. And he said, nope, I'm not here for fame. In verse 38, he said, let us go into the next town that I may preach there also because of this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogue throughout all of Galilee and casting out demons. Now we looked at this. A leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him, and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus, notice this, moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I am willing, be cleansed. I'd I, I just like to reread this story and take out the word compassion. Jesus the man came and said, Lord, if you're willing. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched the man and healed him. It's, it's a powerful story. But it, it leaves out love, doesn't it? It leaves out the motivation. And I don't know what they saw on Jesus' face. Maybe it was a tear. Maybe it was just him listening with all his might. Maybe people were pulling and saying, Jesus, what about me? What about, you know, hey, Jesus. And, and he was just so focused on this man. And, and no doubt, the look upon his face shared his deep love. It wasn't just one of 10,000 lepers. It wasn't just another guy slowing him down. It wasn't just a guy that uh, sort of creeps me out is with that disease. Jesus was full of compassion. You know, I've seen compassion. <laughs> and I have seen seasons without compassion. And I'll tell you, you know, people can say they love you or this or that. It really means very little. We don't have any record in the Bible where Jesus said to somebody, I love you. He never said it. We don't have him that I have found where Jesus says, I love you. But yet, everybody sensed that he was the most loving person. And here's why. As we go forth in 2018, we have so many lepers around us. All of the weird things that are happening in this revived Roman Empire with not just the homosexuality and the transgendered and all of the weird things. Jesus said, go into the world and preach to every creature. What are you, a man, a woman, a woman, man, a man, woman? 
is that horns on your head? And I can't even see any skin. You're tattooed everywhere. It doesn't matter. They're a creature made by God with a plan and a purpose. Let's just be full of compassion towards one another. The world will know we're disciples by our love for one another. If you're lovely and people are loving you, it, it doesn't mean that much, right? But when one another have leprosy and they're stopping and touching you, see, Jesus touched him. The guy had not been touched in years, but touched him and full of compassion. Let us go into this next year as Jesus began his ministry. Let's begin our 2,000 year full of a purposed in our heart to be a people of prayer. And let's determine to touch every leper that comes across our path. And because we're full of God's spirit, we're full of his love and compassion, and we're touching them. What's God's heart? Is it will? Are you willing, Lord? God's saying, I'm willing. I'm willing to touch that person, but I want to not do just works that I did while on earth. I want to do greater works than these. What are these greater works? All of us doing what Jesus did. All of us, not just one place at one time, Jesus with his one human hand touching one leper, but all of us now are the hands and the feet and the eyes. We are all now the body of Christ, right? And so I had purpose in your heart to say, this year, I'm going to be a person of prayer. This year, I'm going to say, God, give me divine appointments. Lord, just lead me down the path and let my heart be full of the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, and, and just walking in love as you walked in love, Jesus. And when I see the leper, that my heart is full of your compassion. Your Holy Spirit would just leap inside of me and, and flood over whatever I'm tired or irritable or anxious or worried or distracted, that nothing would matter but touching this leper and seeing them learn how willing you are, Lord, to cleanse them, to heal them, to touch them. Well, after that... He told this leper to go and show himself to the priest and not to tell people openly because that would really mess up Jesus being able to get to all the little villages he wanted to get. It would be too many people. Could you imagine how weird that would be? These priests in Jerusalem, they know about Leviticus 13 and 14, which is the ritual of dedicating the person that had leprosy being cleansed from leprosy. But in all the history of the world, they had never used it. And imagine this guy coming and saying, I was a leper, and maybe he had some witnesses, and, and I need to obey the Bible and have you do the procedure of the cleansing of the leper. These guys are like, what? Oh, man, go get that scroll, blow it off, get the dust off, get the Leviticus, reread it, talk about it. Uh, you know, this has never been done. This is a clear sign of the Messiah. In essence, Jesus is sending word ahead of time 
the power of what he's doing in Israel. And these priests are being rattled out of their religious religion and all their oppression. All of a sudden, reality of the power and the presence of God has come to planet Earth. And in chapter 2, and again he entered Capernaum after some days. So he went hitting different villages around and he made it, came back. Capernaum would be his headquarters right on the Sea of Galilee there, a little town. And uh, he was in the house and immediately many gathered together that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word. This is what he was sent to do. It says several times, chapter 1, I came to preach. That's the main thing, not to heal, not to cast out demons, but to preach. And they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So they had broken through. They let him down on with the paralytic was lying. And Jesus saw their faith. Notice that. He saw their faith. He said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes are sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemy like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit, they were reasoning thus within themselves. He said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And immediately he arose and took up the bed and went out into the presence of them all. So they were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. So Jesus is back in Capernaum, and he's at somebody else's house this time. And in those days, the roof was the main living room of the house, really. That's where you would go up and get a nice cool breeze. It would be shaded, and that's where you mainly stayed in the Eastern world, as it is today. And typically, they have a way to get up on the roof from outside. You just walk up. So very possibly, these guys got a ladder, or maybe there was already a, a staircase going up. But these guys are got, going, it doesn't matter what it's going to take. We're getting our buddy to Jesus, because if we get him to Jesus, all will be healed. They don't care what it's going to cost. I'll fix the roof later. I don't care how it looks. It looks very aggressive. It looks very selfish. Jesus is there in the house and teaching, and all of a sudden, oh, oh, <laughs> little splinters are falling on him, and some leaves, and dust is sort of, you know, there, and all of a sudden, boop. Boop, 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 boop. <laughs> People are stepping back, and here's this guy laying before Jesus. Now, his friends saw that he was a young, strong, athletic guy, and, and now he's minimized down to completely being paralyzed, and their hearts are gripped, but they have great faith in the power of Jesus. But Jesus looks at this guy, he doesn't just, the Bible tells us God doesn't just look upon the outer man, that God looks upon the heart. And this guy's greatest sickness was in his soul. 
Yes, he saw a man who was unhappy because of physical circumstances, but he found a man tormented by his inner circumstances. It's so important that we understand, guys, that you can help somebody out with money or food or you can help people out in all kinds of outward physical ways. But if Jesus just healed this man and he left tormented in soul, would Jesus have done any good at all in reality? Jesus wasn't healing people so they could have a a better physical life on planet Earth. Jesus was allowing the physical circumstances of this man's life to bring him to a humble and a broken place so he could get right spiritually. Remember when the disciples saw the blind man, they said, who sinned, this man or his parents? And he said, nobody sinned. This man was blowing blind that God might be glorified. And then he healed him. And the Pharisees came and said, well, okay, so I guess if we had been born blind, then we would be righteous, but because we see we're unrighteous, he's like, you're absolutely right. Yep. Had you gone through a season of your life with a physical infirmity, it would have humbled your heart and you would have had to be still and quiet and the Holy Spirit that's been speaking to you could have gotten to that inner conscience and you would have felt the guilt of your sin. You would have felt the isolation for the fact that you're not right with God. You would have sensed the grief of the spirit that you're not walking according to the purpose of God. And your heart would have cried out in the inner man with a great sorrow. And then you would have heard the message of the gospel and said, it's me, it's me, it's me, O Lord, who's standing in the need of prayer. And in that moment, you would see. (laughs) But because you see, Your heart's full of self-pride and self-abilities and busyness and all of this, and it's keeping you from having a tender heart. So yeah, although you see you're blind, and although he was blind, he now sees. This guy, greatest cry, was walking spiritually in a right relationship with God, right? And Jesus saw right through it and just said, as you're laying upon that mat, you're healed. Your sins are forgiven you. Are you willing? I am willing. Be cleansed, he just said to the leper. This guy is coming forward. His friends are thinking one thing in his heart. He's crying out for another. And God says, Jesus says there, you're forgiven. And the Pharisees now that have trickled down from Jerusalem, having been confronted with the leper and sending out spies to figure out exactly who this Jesus is and healing people and what authority and what power. And, and he's just a carpenter from Nazareth of all places. Who gives this guy this kind of position and authority? And, and they're observing to try to take back news to Jerusalem. And there they, boom, 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 red flag to up. Nobody can forgive but God alone. And by him saying that, he is claiming deity for himself indirectly. True. Yeah. Pharisees, you're right. (laughs) Take that message back. Jesus wouldn't disagree with that. God alone can forgive sins. Of course, 
I might add this, that not even God being righteous can just simply forgive sins. Before the cross, sins are covered temporarily until the cross. And then the sins are paid for and punished and forgiven. So Jesus, as every person before the cross would say, in light of the cross coming, by faith in the Messiah coming, by him taking your sins upon him on the cross at one point in time, you're forgiven. Now, after the cross, we truly have power. Jesus said in John 20, go and tell people their sins are forgiven them confidently. It's now a historical fact. We're not in faith looking to the future. Now we are looking to a historical fact. It's already been done. You can be forgiven. But Jesus then says, well, okay. Which is harder to say? Take up your bed and walk or your sins are forgiven. Well, it sort of depends on how you look at it, right? I mean, I could, all say, I could say, because all of you attended church here today, you're all going to live two years longer than you would have otherwise. Now, prove me wrong. <laughs> you can't really, right? And, and if Jesus says your sins are forgiven, and this guy senses it, he knows it. He's like, oh, let me tell you, ah, I'm at peace for the first time. I can sense it. God's Holy Spirit's touched me. I'm, I'm, I'm clean. I'm healed. I don't care if I'm lame. I'm healed. Well, that, that doesn't really tell me anything. But if I say to a man who clearly is paralyzed and cannot be healed by human ability, take up your bed and walk, you can see that. So, I'm going to speak something in the spiritual realm that you cannot verify, but I'm going to do a miracle in the physical realm that you can verify. So if what I'm speaking, which is a miracle in the physical realm you can see, you can be confirmed that what I'm saying in the spiritual realm has also happened. Take up your bed and walk and go home. The guy gets up, walks out, see you later. And he walks out, and now they're debating amongst themselves, and the Pharisees are upset about this. And the people are rejoicing. They're amazed. And notice what they're doing. They're glorifying God. That's how you know you're truly walking in the Spirit. When you say, every word I speak, everything I do, does it do men see my good works and glorify my Father in heaven? Or do you send men see my works and praise me? Notice here, Jesus is reflecting all of it unto the Father. One day, after Jesus would die and raise again, it's the Father's good pleasure that every knee would bow, every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So now we can glorify Jesus. But at this time, Jesus wanted all glory to reflect to the Father. And everybody said before, we've never seen anything like this at all. So as we're heading into this new year, this is a time to make 2018 a year of prayer. It's a year to live in divine appointments and to be full of compassion and to touch. 
It's a time to grab your friends, whatever it takes, and get them to Jesus. Right? 2018 is the year that you are going to lead somebody to Christ and disciple them. Help them read through the gospel of whatever, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and, and talk to them about it once a week or every day or whatever. Just let them read it and ask questions and share it. You don't have the answer, go find it. It's that simple. Years ago, a, a pastor in, in Denver, I loved to listen to him speak, and he was a, a dynamic man. But he, as a young man, purposed in his heart and said, God, I will never let the sun go down without having shared the Lord with at least one person. And man, he had some amazing stories. A lot of them would be, you know, he would be at the office all day and then this would come up in service and he'd be driving home at 1030 at night and realize, oh, I'm so tired. I haven't preached. I haven't shared the gospel. And he'd pull into some 7-Eleven or Denny's. But I remember one particular story where it was indeed 1030 at night and he pulls into a drugstore and there was a, a lady there up at very late hours and, and it was sort of a truck stop and she looked like she had a pretty hard life. And she, there was really nobody else around. And he was just going to go up and say, Jesus loves you, bye-bye, I'm going home. And he went up there and just basically said, Jesus loves you. He died on the cross and rose again. God bless you. Here, here's a card. Come to church. And the lady just began to weep. And he sat there and ministered to her, and she came to Christ. And with a few years, she was running the Sunday school of a very large church. Just think about it, guys. You have the greatest gift that God has ever given or ever will give, eternal life. To talk with somebody and to share they hate you, love you, most of the time you're not going to be successful. You're planning or watering or being rejected. Life into life, death into death, who's sufficient for these things? We're just sharing whatever God's given us, whatever crumbs. I love that Isaiah 50 we're talking about Jesus in verse 4 and 5. It says, he wakened me, the God the Father wakened me in human flesh. Jesus, morning by morning, quickened my ear to hear as a learner. The Greek Septuagint says disciple. That I might get the word to touch the weary in the day. Morning by morning. Getting that rhema word. Then to go out and just to start splashing it on people or plant seeds. But there is, I'm telling you, there is no greater joy. You've heard me say this. When somebody says, yes, I'll come to church next Sunday, or yes, I'd like to start reading the Bible with you, or yes, I'd like to know more about Jesus, and to lead them to Christ, and then to see them continue in Christ, and then to see them begin to preach the gospel, and, and they themselves to become a fruitful Christian. 2018, your prayer touching the leper, bringing your friends to Jesus. And one more thing, you might be that person in your secret heart right now, just full of guilt. You might be a non-believer here today saying, oh, I am 
hurting. I kicked and screamed coming today because of the holidays, but that's me. More than winning the lottery, more than getting healed, more than having a new car, more than anything, my heart, when I'm still and quiet, which I don't like to be very much, but when I'm still and quiet, my heart is crying out, heal me, Lord, cleanse me, Lord. God knows. He sees right now. He's brought you here today to send out his word and to heal you. And if you have backslid from Christ or you've never come to Christ or maybe you're a Christian here that has been really waffling at the end of this year and you're just not where you should be spiritually and your heart is starting to get calloused, maybe your conscience starting to get seared, that's a scary place to be. Then right now, let God heal you. Jesus is here, right? Two or three gathered together in his name. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you right now. And we ask in Jesus' name that we would purpose in our hearts right now to be different, to be more fruitful, to be more powerful than we were in this past year. That this year would be a year of incredible fruitfulness. And if that's you right now, just just say, Lord, I, I surrender. Right now, I surrender 2018 to you. Lord, as as you started the beginning of your ministry, I want to start this next year with a clear purpose that I've not had before. And that purpose is to seek you, to be your hands, your feet, your heart of compassion, to be the one who knows that they know that they know that if they can get their friend to Jesus, he will be touched in every way, but more, most importantly, his tormented soul forgiven and the hope of eternal life. Just right now, if your heart is heavy, you don't need to be anymore. Jesus is saying, cast all your cares upon me for I care for you. The Bible says, Jesus is saying, come unto me all you weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. Just right now, Jesus, forgive me. Lord, I'm a leper. Would you be willing? Cleanse me. Lord, I'm tormented in many ways in the outward man, but my inner heart is seeking you. Cleanse me. Heal me. Forgive me. Wash me. Write my name in the book of life. Lord, I want to know that I know that I know that if I were to die, I would be in your presence, not because I'm worthy, not because I'm super obedient, not because I'm super righteous, but because you are faithful. Take me now, Lord. I I want my life to be a fruitful life, not bearing 20-fold, 60-fold. But Lord, we know the time is very, very short. Your coming draws near. We sense it. If it's not 2018, your return, it's going to be very soon after 2018. We know we are in borrowed time. So, Lord, let us watch and pray and be ready to do, to say, to be all you would have us to be. In Jesus' name.